Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, well, I'm not going to waste too much time before I get to this show because I think everybody watching and listening knows my next guest, but this is WV Sports Now. I am Mike Osti, and I'm going to be now talking with West Virginia head football coach Neil Brown entering his fifth year leading the Mountaineers and hoping to turn things around from the situation last year. So without any further ado, I am now going to bring on Neil Brown. So Neil, first off, I definitely appreciate the time. I appreciate you you jumping on with me and our listeners and viewers. I know you don't have to do this right now and aren't doing it with everybody. So I definitely appreciate being included in all that. And before we jump fully in, I'll give you a happy belated Father's Day. Since yeah. we're not too far removed, I had my first Father's Day of my life this year. So how yeah. was that? Well, congrats, congrats! Thank you, um, thank you. This uh, this month of June, so I had Father's Day with. Uh, it was basically Dax and I um, handling some recruiting functions, and uh, my two daughters were were playing uh, one playing soccer, one playing softball. So we're just trying to get to the dead period. We, we can get to it's, it's in the, it's in sites. And, uh, but we've had a busy, busy, busy month of June. Happy, uh, happy belated father's day to you. Thank you. Definitely appreciate it. Again, Neil Brown here joining me as we're going to talk some Mountaineer football past and present and future. So to get things started this, and we've talked about this before, and you mentioned this before in press conferences, Going into year five is different than going into, say, year one. When you were going to year one, you kind of had to put your own stamp on the program. You're dealing with a lot of somebody else's players. It's just a whole new thing. Even year two and three maybe are a little bit of that. But year five, it's a lot more of your crew. The Bucks going to certainly stop with you. Last year didn't go the way that you or anybody would have wanted it to conclude, missing out in a bowl game. Do you feel any different sense of pressure right now is there any change in mentality because of what's happened over the last four years you did win a bowl game get to another one but five and seven you're not where you want to be right now and you've been open about that so is there a different change of tune do you look back on any of the last four years and say hey i should have made this decision i should have done that this could have sent us on a different direction like is it hard to get away from any of that situation and do you feel any heat i guess a little bit of going into year five and almost the mentality of, Hey, if, uh, you know, I want, I want to do this my way. So I'm going to kind of leave it all out in the field. Yeah. So I think first of all, yeah, yeah, five and seven last year wasn't good enough. And, and I think that, that we underachieved and wasn't, wasn't pleased. Um, I, I am, um, you know, I think it gets lost sometimes. We did finish well, you know, beating beating Oklahoma yeah. State on the road, you know, beating Oklahoma, winning two of the last three. So there's a confidence that comes from that, that, you know, you still got strong buy-in. You're, you're able to motivate the team. Uh, you don't lose your staff, you know. And, and so those things are positive coming out of the end of the year. But five and seven is not what we wanted. And and so anytime I think you go through some some struggles, some some whether it's professionally, personally, whatever it is, you got to learn. Um, and so to look back and say, no, I, you know, I don't think I, I would have done anything different. I mean, that's that wouldn't be accurate. Right. Um, now, I don't spend a lot of time questioning the the decisions 
that we've made because those are in the past. What I do is, is I, I take a long look at yeah. the processes we went through to get to those decisions, right? I think anytime you're in leadership is, and you've got to make these multitude of decisions, uh, you're going to get some of them wrong, you know, but you got to look at your processes is why did you make those decisions? Who helped you make those decisions? The ones you got right, why'd you get them right? The ones you got wrong, why'd you get them wrong? You know, and and like we, we've made, I think I've been pretty, you know, like pretty clear on these things. If I, if, you know, I would have, I would have turned the roster over uh, during that 2019 season. I would have, I would have cleaned out some of the things we needed to clean out um, and got it done through that fall. Might've cost us a win or two, but you know, at the end of the day, it probably been better long-term. Um, there were some staff decisions, especially early on that, um, that held us back and, and then hurt us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we haven't, we didn't do a very good job in the probably the first 18 to 24 months and some de- defensive evaluations that, that contributed to our lack, lack, lack of success defensively. Um, but I think you got to look and say, okay, what did we learn? Well, we got to make sure we don't repeat. And then are our processes to get to those decisions, how can we, how can we make those better? So that, that's really where we spent, stayed our, uh, or spent our time. Yeah. Um, and so sure that we've made some, we made some mistakes. I think, you know, the other thing that I would say to this um, is I think it, you, you go introspective too. And you, you know, from, from myself standpoint, as I think the, the easy thing when you have success in a previous job, and we had a lot of success at Troy. We won 10 plus games three years in a row. We won three bowl games. You know, we got nationally ranked, bunch of bunch of really good things, right? Um, and so you come and and you go to a new spot, and there's some things that translate, and there's obviously some things that don't. But also, I think where from a leadership standpoint, and one of the mistakes that that I made, and I think the leaders make. And in general, a lot of times is you don't take into effect the different stage of life that you're in, you know? So like when I was head coach at Troy. Yeah, it's true. Dax was a baby, a toddler. Um, Ainsley, my middle child was in very few activities and she was in early elementary school. My oldest, it was in late elementary school. And so how I did the job and the time that I did the job was a lot different. And it was very similar to when I was a coordinator. And now I'm in a different stage of life. Like er, when, when my kids were young, you know, like I could be hands-on and be knee deep in every single aspect. Um, and as you change stages in life, like that's not necessarily possible if you want to continue to be an active participant in your children's lives if you want to be at their events right because yeah. there's more the older they get yeah and i'm so, already feeling that <laughs> my daughter's yeah, only 11 and so months like, and, what, right. what i underestimated is i could perform the job and perform the offense coordinator job perform the head coaching job in the exact same manner and continue to be present in all my kids stuff and they got busier there's more things to do we had all this adversity and that's where i didn't and so coming out of it, probably for me individually, is going, okay, like let's I'm in a totally different stage of life, right? Where my kids are, um, the activities they're involved in. Um, and so, man, I've got to really lean and have really good people leading the different arms of our program. And I don't need to be involved. I need to focus on what I'm really good at and what's kind of gotten me to this position to this point. Um and then I need to be really involved with the players. 
And then the people we have, whether it's Coleman Barnes, Patrick Johnson, Mike Joseph, you know, any of the – like they can handle the other stuff, and they're going to do a better job than I am anyway. And so that was, you know, probably from a growth perspective myself more so than any of the other stuff. Okay, that makes sense. Again, Neil Brown here, head coach of the West Virginia Mountaineers, WV Sports Now, as we are talking about the past, present, future of the WV football, WV football program, certainly a very, very important season ahead. Now, off of kind of what you were just saying, does that mentality that you now have about almost being, it sounds like being willing to to delegate a little bit more and not having to be as much hands-on, but certainly still very much in- involved, did that in any way influence coaching decisions now for this upcoming season and into the future? And what will that kind of look like? There's a lot of questions that fans are asking us about, and you've talked about this a little bit. Chad Scott becomes offensive coordinator. How much of play calling will he be actually doing in that role? Because it's a newer role for him. You've done it before, but now you're talking about how maybe you need to kind of relinquish a little bit into the future. Yeah. So let's start with this is like, you know, our staff comes back in total on defense and we didn't perform well, but we had performed at a, at a good enough level to win during our first three years here. And so, so I felt like our best opportunity defensively to continue was um, keep that staff together. Okay. That's a question too, is why we're changing the staff. So change how, you know, change some things we're doing schematically, uh, simplify overall, but I thought our chemistry was really good. And a lot of the issues we had last year were more personnel oriented. And so I think we've got some of those things corrected. And so I thought that gave us the best um, path moving forward in a year where we need to win yeah. is I thought staying cohesive <laughs> staff wise over there um, made the, made the best was the right decision. You know, offensively last year, like, until about the last three or four games, like I really was, I was not involved. Okay. Okay. When we changed, when we changed paths, as far as who the quarterbacks were going to be that we we're playing, then we were, because I felt like I wanted to see what the Garrett, Garrett deserved an opportunity to, to show what he can do. And I think he showed some flashes and then Nico moved more into the um, backup role and he ended up having to play and uh, played the second half in, in, in a game on the road that we wanted at Oklahoma state. Um, but we needed to change who we were because we were showing the ability to run the football. Um, I really, from about the midpoint on, I knew that we needed to be have a quarterback that gave us the ability to run. And so that's when I really got involved. And it goes to this offensively is, is like, that is a strength of mine. Like, we've been really good, okay, um, at every stop offensively. If you look at it, when I was coordinator at Troy, we were really good. Texas Tech, we were, we were really good. At Kentucky, we made huge strides, you know, in two years. At Troy, we were really, really efficient offensively. Okay, here, our personnel, we went young, and we weren't very good, but we made strides. And I felt like last year was the first time our personnel was in a place to, to really where we could go and win games offensively, and we didn't do that. And so to answer your question as far as play calling, um, we're going to decide that. Chad showed a lot of growth. Okay. Um, but I will say this, and I don't hide from this, is like, like I'm going to be really, really involved. And and when I say when I say like, hey, we're going to delegate and do some of those things, is the way I look at it. Okay, when you're doing a job, is like you need to you need to do your strengths and you need to take care of what's necessary. All right, and 
And so the things that, that in my past that I've been really good at is I'm going to be really involved in the things that are necessary. And whether that's NIL, whether it's play relationship, like I'm going to be really involved in. Um, and some of the other things, like we're going to hire quality people and we got quality people here that can take care of those things. We're talking with Neil Brown, head coach of the WVU football program, Mike Austin here, WV Sports Now. Now, this is a question, actually, we have a, a fan-fueled podcast that we that we promote here with WV Sports Now, and they wanted me to ask this. I felt like I, I got to give them a question. One unique thing about you now going into your fifth year is you're doing it with a different athletic director presiding over the athletic department. That's not always the case for a head coach. A lot of time they're tied to a, to an AD. So usually they're not always continuing on. You are. And we've talked to Ren Baker and had him on the show before. What is your relationship like with Ren Baker now? And how has that changed and developed over time? Because obviously you haven't known him that long, but I'm sure that's changed and developed from when he first got hired to now and how has that been different than your relationship with Shane Lyons? A little bit seemingly of a close relationship at that point, more tied to him. And how has he been able to help you with the football program? What's been different? What's been good? Is there anything that's still needing to be worked on? What What, what is the Neil Brown-Ren Baker relationship right now? Because if you do continue on as head coach, that's going to be a major big deal, obviously, for the future of the program. Well, obviously, I only can speak on it from my perspective, right? Right, hundred so percent. You got to get you got to get Ren's perspective. But from my perspective, first of all, I really like the guy. Like, I like the person. Um, I, I I think he was he's the right guy for at the right time for West Virginia. He's probably had, um, you know, probably a his you know he's he's had to do a lot here in his initial six seven months on the job. I don't That's think an understatement. Probably, yes. Yeah. yeah I don't think he <laughs> he's still doing work right now. I don't think he anticipated all those things, but I do think right. he's handled all the situations with class and with grace. Um, I like him. I think he's a really good listener. I think he asks quality questions. Um, I think he's innovative in his thinking. Um, you know, I think that he's really humble as far as he listens to people. He understands when it's not necessarily his strength. I think he's done a great job of, of getting around the people of West Virginia and relating. He's done a great job as far as networking with key influencers, whether it's board of trustees, whether it's people within the universities, donors. Um, he's got a, he's had a big presence here. Um, I think he understands the challenges um, and he, and he also has some good solutions. Um, and so I really like him. I think that I think he is going to do, uh, great things for West Virginia athletics. I think there's going to be some things Rocky, like he's going to have to to do some things to, to get us on the path where I think our fan base wants to, wants to be. Um, and, and I'll say this too. I think it's helpful. I was a coordinator at Texas tech. Tommy Tuberville was a head coach and there was an athletic director switch. Gerald Myers retired. Kirby Hocutt came in. So I was able to watch that okay. um, early in my tenure. John Hartwell hired me as the AD at Troy um, but then Jeremy McLean took over. So we had a switch in ADs. The guy in my first head coaching job that hired me didn't wasn't there uh, most of the tenure. Um, so I've got some experience in this, right? Shane hired me. Ren came in. Uh, so I think building those relationships, I think it helps that, that Ren and I knew each other. I think it helps that he has some really good connections with people that are really close to me. Uh, so I think that's really benefited the relationship. And, and I think the truth of it too is like, we're, we talk about stages of life. He's in the same stage of life. I am, he's yeah. got, 
kind of, um, he's got two girls, you know, and, um, and so, you know, the, uh, and like I said, I can, I can talk about it from, from my perspective, you have to ask him on his. Yeah, absolutely. And we definitely hope to have him back on and, and be able to ask him some of those questions again as well. Now, transitioning a little bit off of the past, although kind of, mm-hmm. you were able to, one of the new experiences you had last year was experiencing the backyard brawl. And yep. that was something that you experienced in Pittsburgh, set an attendance record that, depending on who you ask, may or may not have been broken by Taylor Swift. <laughs> and this coming season, it's going to be in Morgantown. So that'll be a new experience as well. Number one, what did you expect from the backyard brawl? What did you heard? What have you heard about it prior to experiencing it? And then what did you learn from it? Like how was experiencing it different than what you expected? And what do you expect for that game in Morgantown? And then I do have a, a question about their, their head coach and some comments that he said recently, but obviously backyard brawl is a major deal to this fan base came up short last year. Fans feel like that was a winnable game. I'm sure you feel like that was a winnable game too. You have a crack in Morgantown. It's going to be even be different there. Yeah, rivalry games are important. I think rivalry games make college football. I think rivalry portents have even taken more of a more of a critical role in all the realignment things, right? Um, and so they're important. The backyard brawl is important. I don't I don't know whether you're a Pitt or a West Virginia fan. I'm a, I only I only care about one of the fan bases, but <laughs> it's important. It's important, and you could feel the passion. That was a great atmosphere. It was a great atmosphere. You know, they're going to argue that they had all the people there. Some <laughs> people are going to argue that it's half. I don't know. I don't really yeah. know, but I know it was a damn good football atmosphere, and it was an it was a game that that where we played well enough to win, and then we didn't make winning plays at winning times. Right? We just did, and so um, that was the first crack. They had a really good football team last year. Um, you know, does 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 the um, the path of our season change if we win the game? Probably so. Probably so. But we did. We didn't win the game. It was winnable. We didn't make the plays. They made some plays to win it. Uh, they took advantage of some of our mistakes. And and now we got a chance in our home stadium. And, and this place is going to be rocking and rolling. You know, it's going to be a, a night game. I know our fans are going to be supercharged. And it's important. We need to win the game. We need to win the game. It's important. Where it falls in our schedule, it's the game before we play our Big 12 opener, which is another home football game against a team that that's kind of had our number for whatever reason. Um, and, and they've got a good team coming back. And so um, – but it, it, it's, it's important and, and, and it matters. And it's a game that, that from a rivalry perspective, we don't try to understate it or undersell it. You know, I think sometimes, you know, people do that. That's not, that's not how we handle it in-house. Now, Pat Narduzzi, who's been the head coach of Pitt for a long time, they won an ACC title a couple years ago, obviously still the head coach of Pitt. He's outspoken, and recently he did make some comments about Colorado's new head coach and Deion Sanders, and Deion, who who carries a different weight than you or Pat Narduzzi would as a legendary football figure well prior to you even trying to be a player, better player than us? Be a head coach. I Well, some people have said that. Some people have said that. He's enshrined somewhere. There's a plaque that yeah. kind of says that. But, uh, but I guess it's just opinions out there. But he walked in the door, threw a YouTube video up, saying, I'm going to bring in the Louis for Louis Vuitton. He got a whole new roster. I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. 70-plus kids are going out and coming in. It's a little different. 
you've obviously used the transfer portal. You decided this year to go with, with in-house QBs. In the past, you've used it with transfer quarterbacks, but other positions you've used the transfer and had to go in and out with as well. So has Pat Narduzzi, for sure. But Pat did bring up that he feels, to paraphrase, that Dion's abusing it a little bit, and he wasn't necessarily sold on regrouping a 70-plus man roster with all new transfers in only a few months. What are your thoughts on how the transfer portal is being used by head coaches like Deion Sanders in comparison to maybe what you thought it would be. Is that ever a path you want to go down? If say you would maybe have another tough season, but stay on, would you want to do the Deion thing or it's just a whole new 70 plus thing? What are your thoughts there? So just set the reg straight. I don't have anything Louis Vuitton. Like I don't have anything. So like I can't. I can't even speak. Like my, my assumption is uh, Dion probably does have some Louis Vuitton, yeah. and, and he and his his style is definitely better. And he's for sure a hell of a lot better player than I was. You're talking about somebody's in the college football hall of fame and the pro football. Hall of right, fame. right, right. Of course. And, uh, yes. and so he's got a he's pretty got, good baseball uh, player too, by the way. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. You got to remember that. Like the age bracket I was growing up with him. You know, like when yeah. I was coming up, like he was he was playing, he was doing the deal where he played the Braves and the Falcons and the yeah. same. <laughs> um, and so he's got a little bit of star effect there, and, and yeah. it's really the first time you've had a lot of really good players that have become coaches. But you know, he he had the huge media back um, with Barstool and had NFL Network. So this is uh this is the first time that you've had um. Uh, a player that was a Hall of Fame caliber player that had the star quality he's had get into get into on the coaching side. So um I just yeah, especially of, in the power five. I mean he, yeah, he right yeah, and he's coming power, from yeah. FBS uh, FCS to power five. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just kind of I'm just kind of sitting back and watching it. You know, I don't I don't spend a whole lot of time judging on how other people do it. You know, I evaluate how other people make decisions. Um but I wouldn't speak on that because I have no way of knowing what the circumstances were there. You know, one of the questions you asked me earlier, I said that if you go back and look, um, even though I know why we made the decisions, because you think you're going to save everybody. You think you can change right. everybody. That's part of uh, coaching and, and, and the reality of it is just not accurate all the time. Like, we'd have flipped the roster more in 19. The rules weren't the same. I mean, maybe if I had the rules that, that are that are now, I probably would have been a little bit more aggressive. Um Back then, to flip the roster, you had to be comfortable because where we were at, we, were, we had to play with probably upper 50s, low 60s. Because I think year one, we played like 68, 69. But is it just because system wise? I mean, just obviously you and Dana Holgerson are just totally different system wise. No, it's not that. It's, it's that, um, like, we didn't have, like, there's some things like buy in wise, and you can flip by flipping. Okay. Like, here's, you talk about culture, culture of an organization, right? I think who you bring in and, bring on into your into your locker room and who you get out of your locker room is the number one uh, thing that affects culture. Number two is is uh, what do you allow from a standard perspective? What do you allow? And uh, and, and and I think our culture would have been better early on um, if I did change the roster. So so I understand a little bit of what um, what Dion's doing, but I try not to sit back and, and judge people because I don't know what the circumstances were there. I mean, they're one in eleven. That's factual. Yeah, they were they were not very good. But more importantly, you don't know anything about the people. You don't know, and so like I look at it, and I'm like, man, that's that's a that's a lot. Like, you know, count me as interested. I'm I'm interested to see how it's going to (laughs) go. Right. But 
Um, but I don't know his circumstances, so I can't say that, hey, okay. you know, like, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes, you know. Um, but I don't know what his circumstances were, so I'm not going to get into the deal questioning him. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's different, and it's not – I mean, coaches speaking on it, they're obviously also using the transfer portal. So it's not like – that's not the case. But Neil Brown here, head coach of the WB football program, West Virginia Mountaineers, looking to turn things around from five and seven. One thing I do want to ask, and this has actually been, I believe, kind of a feather in your cap. I don't know necessarily if fans who would disagree with that opinion are following recruiting as much as you know I do and others who cover are and have been. You've had recruiting success for sure. I mean, you could even just look at Rodney Gallagher, but overall, most outlets have it currently right now for 2024 in a top 35 class, if not top 30. It's been a feather in your cap, certainly to some respects. What do you think has led to your recruiting success? How do you sell the program recruiting wise? Because it's also not common to be fair, Neil, that it's a major program. I know why there's reasons to go to W for sure, but to have so much recruiting success while not exactly winning as much as you would want to win. And there's other factors in why kids would go to schools, but you're coming off five and seven. And then again, having recruiting success with four star kids, what are you selling about the Mountaineers that, that allows them to keep pressing the climb? And why do you think you've had recruiting success? And, and what, is there any opinion of yours that why you don't think maybe you get the credit you probably deserve for recruiting success? Cause I feel like that's kind of polarizing, even though, the, the numbers well, I think there. that because I think everything with recruiting is immediate, right? And I don't think you can really judge your recruiting classes till three, four years down the road. And yeah. so, you know, I think that this year coming up is an opportunity to see how, you know, because we've had some success. We've had some retention issues. And like some of our retention issues are are due to things that are outside our control. Yeah. And people get confused with that being an excuse. It's not an excuse, it's just what it is. Like we didn't have the ability to pay players. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's it's pretty cut and dry. And and so if you look, really going back to about last uh, March or so, we really haven't. You know, we've lost a couple players, um, but they haven't been for financial reasons. So our retention rate is much higher, right? So I think that, um, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, we have recruited better than than whatever traditionally that's happened at West Virginia. Okay. Um, now the proof is going to be results on the field this year. And in the following years with the rosters that, that we right. brought in. Right? Um, and so I think there's a couple things is one, it's not, not flashy, but it's, it's, it's hard work. Like um, because you got to be diligent and you've got to uh, continue to work to get people on campus. And so you got to win before you get them to sign, you got to win on getting them here on unofficial visits. You got to win on getting them for game. You got to win for spring visits. You got to win for official visits. And so a lot of the competing is you're going to get school A, B, and C, and you get them here on a junior day rather than B and C. Or you win the you win the official visits. You get them here on the weekend. You want them here. And then school B and C that you're competing against, you don't. So a lot of it goes back, and, and people don't think about this just – it goes back to just hard work and diligence and uh, um, continuing to stay in contact. And and so that's the first thing. Second thing is, is infrastructure wise that that your common fan wouldn't know about or even think about is the infrastructure that we've been able to build that really 
just is coming to fruition here probably in the last six months or so is our facilities, all right, outside of our press box. You know, our facilities are at a point where <laughs> I wasn't going to criticize the press box. I, <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's nice. um, you know, outside of that, like we can really, yeah. we're competitive. I'm not saying we have the biggest, but there's none that are nicer. And then yeah. we've really invested nice. in technology and, and things that are about player development. So, you know, if you look at strength conditioning, you know, I think Mike Joseph is at the top of his profession. We have all the recovery and sports science. Um, we have more than a lot of NFL teams. Really athletic training and our relationship with WV Medicine, like, and we've heavily invested in that. And, you know, our athletic trainer is a physical therapist. Nobody, nobody talks about that. You know, we've got two full-time nutritionists. We've got um, – we've really turned our training table into a strength. Uh, we've got a full-time sports psychologist that's here. You know, we've really heavily invested in our scouting aspects and in in our evaluations, and we've got some of the infrastructure behind the coaches built up. And so, like our infrastructure, both bricks and mortar, and people from a support aspect that go into building up, is in a good spot. And and I think the Country Roads Trust, through the leadership of Ken Kendrick and Oliver Luck and Stephen Ford, doing a good job, is that's in a spot where it's a strength now. And so. The infrastructure is, is is two. And then the third thing is we take a kind of a real approach. Um, we're not in here. Um, we don't negative recruit against anybody else. Um, we give them really good picture of what it's going to be like. Um, how we recruit them is how we coach them. So there's not this big drastic change of they're pampered, pampered, pampered. They get on campus and we're assholes. It's pretty much, <laughs> hey, this is, these are our standards. These are our expectations how I talk to them and sitting on my couch in a recruiting conversation is exactly the way when we have meetings, one-on-one meetings throughout the year. And so I think that's, and our players validate that when they meet with them and and that, that helps our success as well. Neil Brown here, head coach of the West Virginia Mountaineers now going a little bit to this current roster and you're welcome to break news. I don't <laughs> with me. I don't know. I, I doubt you're going to, but in terms of the quarterback competition of Garrett Green and Nico Markiel, they're both top recruits for you. They're both homegrown players. It's different than bringing in transfers. And Garrett's been with the program a while. Nico, a little newer to the program. They both have now experience going into this season. So, number one, how has that competition been in your eyes? How is that maybe different than you were viewing it coming in? Was there somebody who has an edge? Is there somebody who has an edge now? And then is there any possibility that we could see both quarterbacks play regardless of who starts week one and that both of them could see significant time. Is that in any way a goal of yours, regardless of winning? And I don't mean like if the season goes off the rails and you mm-hmm. have to play somebody, but could there be somewhat of a timeshare even in a winning situation? And how are they different? How how would that make the team different? Like say if Nico becomes your starter, would that be a whole different mindset versus Garrett Green, vice versa? No, what we're doing schematically will fit both of them. Um, okay. Yeah, and, and even going to the third in Sean Boyle, like the system is going to be something that's friendly and it's going to play off both of their strengths. Um, obviously, one of them's right-handed, one of them's left-handed. So, right. you know, there's a little bit difference as far as that's concerned. Um, but as far as like, here's here's the whole thing is like, I believe in them. Like our staff believes in those two guys. And I would take it a step further and even say that, that our team, their teammates, um, believe in those two guys. Um, and, I, and I believe in the way that they've been developed and I think they're ready. And that's what part of it at the end of last year was is like, 
you know, I wanted to have a really good evaluation of Garrett Green at the end of the year. And that's why we made the decision in the first quarter versus Oklahoma. That wasn't just trying to win the Oklahoma game. When we made that decision, that was a decision like like we were going to move forward with the future. Okay. And that wasn't anything negative on JT. Like I like JT Daniels. He did everything right. we asked him to do. It just didn't work. Okay. Right. And and you don't you don't feel Garrett Green was ready prior to that to get that question. Yeah, if he out was ready, we wouldn't have gone to French Report a, a, a year ago spring. Okay. Okay. You, you know, yeah. we wouldn't we wouldn't have done that because if you remember, we easily could have got a kid in December of a year ago, but right. I wanted to see what we had. Okay. And and we just didn't think they were ready. Um, but when Garrett played at the end of the year and then Nico had some success and like you gotta remember, Nico, we basically scrimmaged without tackling with Nico every Sunday and every Tuesday. Okay. And he got a ton of reps. We do seven on seven on on Thursday. So we got as we went through the season, you could see him getting better. You can see him getting better. And so, you know, I wanted to see what we had. And I was confident confident once we got in December that our best path forward as a program was with one of those two guys and both of them competing, both of them pushing each other to get better. Um, and, and, and there was no flinch in that after the spring, because again, we could have gone out and gotten a quarterback, but after what we watched in the spring, I was really confident in both of their abilities to go win games on our schedule. And so now the competition carries through the summer and then it goes into fall camp and it's either going to be really clear. It could be a position where we play both. You know, I'm not going into it closed-minded, but it it's not – Okay. That's not necessarily what I've got in my head, but if that's the case, that's the case. I really believe one of them will, will win the job and we'll move forward and we'll find a role for the other one. Is the thought process just about this season too? Because I know it's always in fans' minds and it's hard not to be there that if you have two quarterbacks that you think are starters, eventually you may lose one if you don't play them. Yeah, I mean, you you think about that, but you're trying to win games at the at the you know what I mean. You're like you're trying right. to make decisions to win games, so not necessarily like that's where it comes into effect is this. Let's say um, one of our freshmen is in the past if they weren't necessarily ready in fall camp, you say okay, hey, we're gonna redshirt and we'll pick a couple games to play them on some special teams. Now the mindset is more, hey, let's force feed them and get them ready to play in special teams. So they're getting game action, and maybe by the end, by the middle of the year, they right. can climb themselves into a backup and start playing on offense or defense. Um, so that's where that kind of mindset comes into, yeah. but not necessarily on who's going to be the starter and let's make sure we keep him. You know, you're just trying to win football games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's different with the quarterback position because only yeah, one can is. really it be is. the starter. It's not like you can give him. Maybe you could give him a few plays a game, but it's it's not like say if this was a wide receiver or running back here. Neil Brown here, head coach of the Mountaineers. I just got a few more with you, and I definitely, again, do appreciate the time. Uh, you did bring in some transfer players. You did bring in Devin Carter. You did you did bring in some to this team, Cole Taylor, who's who's one. I, I love the quote you threw out there that he was uh, open by birth. Um, and I got a feature on our site right now about what success he can have that maybe wasn't the opportunity at LSU. Outside of the guys that people probably know that we've all been covering at nauseum, are there any players that are new to this team for whatever reason, and it could even be just a freshman recruit, that you think maybe fans should be more aware of or could really be an impact player to this year that maybe you're seeing something in thinking, wow, this guy might be ahead of schedule, like a an unsung hero potential? Well, so offensively, you talked about Cole, but I think E.J. Horton, because he can really run. You know, he just came in and 
Um, depending on what side of, you know, came from Marshall, which some people in the state look at him as a friendly foe. Some of them look at as a rival, however. But bottom line, the kid can run. And I think he's got um, some potential to really be an immediate impact player for us. Um, and then defensively, I think Tyron Bradley is a guy that transferred up from um, from Abilene Christian who was really, really productive. And I think he's able to handle the, the change okay. in competition levels. Um, high school-wise, you know, a guy that really flew under the radar, and we signed him even a day after um, – you know, we didn't even release him in the in the press conference initially. I don't think was Aiden Nelson, and Aiden Nelson is a kid that um, that we've been really impressed with through our strength conditioning through the first four weeks, and and what he's doing in our OTA workouts. Okay, and and again, Neil, I know I'm I'm getting the hook here. So just lastly, just want to ask you because fans really really are bringing this up, and it could be quick. It, you're going into year five. You do have a losing record to this point, even though you've done a lot of good on and off the field, certainly off the field, I, I do think, in terms of the atmosphere. But the wins haven't been there, and this is a results-based business. You talked about the pressure before. Why should fans still trust the climb? I, I guess simply asking, because as as you know, there's a lot of history with this program. They do expect a certain standard. One bowl win in four years isn't enough, nor for yourself. So why should fans be still bought in? Why is this coming season in 2023, year five, going to be different for you in the program? Yeah, so I could give you a really lengthy answer on that. And and I could and and I could explain to you kind of why we're at and what went right and what went wrong. Right. And the bottom line is it's a it's about moving forward. And I think the most important thing you just asked there is why should they be excited? And and this is how I would answer that because that's really the here and now about it is, is you as a fan should be excited because some of our top players are West Virginia natives. You know, if you look at Doug Nestor, Zach Frazier, Wyatt Milam, they're homegrown talent and they're great people. They're great players. Sean Martin, yeah. homegrown talent. Not Got always the case for WVU too. So, yeah. And so, yeah, it's not always the case. Okay. And so, our, some of our best players are West Virginia natives, and they're about all the things that West Virginians want to be about. They're hardworking. They're blue collar. They're um, they got they love the state. Uh, the low this 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 flying WV means the world to them, and they're going to represent you in the right way. The other thing too is why why be excited? You know, West Virginia wants to play Pitt. West Virginia wants to play Penn State, and so. Here we are, and two of our first three games are, are against Penn State and against Pitt, and they're nationally relevant games. We play two of our, our first three games are going to be in national television. And and so my my deal with the fan base, they can feel however, however they want to about me. Like, I'm in a position now where, like, I've had to deal with criticism. I'm not in a point where it really affects me, honestly. Um, not that, you know, not that I, I would pick that, but it really doesn't affect me. I'm in a position now where I feel really confident in infrastructure. I really I feel really confident in what we've built around here. I think we're ready to take the next step. Um, I'm not necessarily looking for for approval of why I believe that. Um, but I think that that for me personally is I'm going to go into this like going, man, we got a lot of pressure. No, I'm like, I'm going into this and going, man, what an opportunity. We're gonna. We got a chance uh, on a, on a Saturday night on NBC. Then we're gonna go and play on ABC, and 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 we got a real chance. I like our football team, and so I look at it as this: is it's a way to to go get things done. I don't think we got a whole lot of uh, kind of flying under the radar and 
kind of the way I was as a player, the way I grew up, the way um, kind of been at coaching stops along the way. I like that. And so now we just got to go out and prove people wrong. But as far as our people being excited is, is, is why wouldn't they, why wouldn't you want to pull for your homegrown talent? Why wouldn't you want to go and be able to cheer on the Mountaineers versus Penn state and Pitt? And, uh, and we need them. And so that's how, that's how I would answer that. That's fair. All right, Neil, I definitely appreciate the time. I know you got a meeting to go to and, and a lot of work, but right now, even in the off season before yeah. you get into uh, to camp again. So Neil Brown, I definitely appreciate the time. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate Absolutely. It. Yep. Again, Neil Brown, head coach of the Mountaineers. Definitely appreciate being included. I know he, he spoke with some of my colleagues on, on their shows, or many of them have put up articles about conversations with Neil Brown. Not many have done shows that long and that 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 intensive, I guess. And, and obviously, Tony Greedy and Brad Howe are someone who have but I tried to mix up some questions there. Definitely tried to get some of your fan questions in. A lot of it was same page, kind of what I was going to ask anyway. Obviously, I wanted to, to give love to our fan podcast, Country Roads Webcast. I wanted to give them their question in about Ren Baker, which made sense, and I was going to ask anyway. And this isn't going to be a three-hour show. I wasn't going to be offered a three-hour show. There's a lot more I could ask. I could have pushed back on some things, of course, but that wouldn't have worked for this format with the time I had. I wanted to get his answers and kind of give him the mic, which... I know it's hard for me. I definitely like to talk, but I wanted to try to get you to hear him as much as you could. So hopefully I, I was able to deliver that for you in more of a question and answer type of format than maybe these shows normally are. But, you know, a little more laid back than just the press conference where I get one or two questions in, even if I'm aggressive. This gave me to you know five or six, I guess. And hopefully we do more of these with Neil Brown. Hopefully get Ren Baker back on this show. Obviously, when we talked to Ren before, he was just taking the job, didn't know Neil as well in terms of working with him, even if they knew each other from connections before. So hearing from Neil, it's not like he's reinventing the wheel there. He didn't break the news on who was going to be the starting quarterback that maybe I was hoping he would, obviously knew he wasn't going to. It's interesting to me and kind of what he said. It does sound like maybe there's an opportunity for both to play. He's certainly aware of the situation that say, for my money, I think Eric Green's going to start with the experience edge, but Nico is a top recruit. So if you never play him, you're looking at three years next year of never playing him besides, you know, the end of last season. Obviously, he'll likely transfer out. Neil's aware of that, so I wouldn't be shocked if he gets in there. That, without saying that's going to happen, I certainly would imagine that that will happen. The, the, it, it, prior to the end of the season in week eight or nine, when it's already probably you know, where it's going to be positive or negative, I would imagine you're seeing some of Nico unless Garrett's rolling and maybe not, or maybe vice versa. I'd imagine Nico's a starter because he really wows you. I'd imagine Garrett's going to get some time too, just out of respect for the kid. He's been there a while, but we also got it definitive because he danced around it at press conferences. And I understand why Garrett Green wasn't ready. We've been saying in the media who, who watched him at practice, I think he honestly hasn't even denied it himself. He probably knows that too. That's why Jared Deggie started his last season. That's why they brought in JT Daniels last year. They're now going to do the homegrown thing. The transfers thing didn't work out. But at that time, Garrett Green was not ready. So if Garrett Green goes out guns blazing and beats Pitt, beats Penn State somehow to start the season, they go into conference play, they're lighting the world on fire, and it's the Garrett Green show. And he becomes the QB that Pat White said, oh, this is the blueprint or Rashid Marshall, former co-host of uh, all three phases here with us, WV Sports now, who's now with the program. 
if he gets what he's been wanting of Garrett Green finally starting and he's kind of been, you know, banging on that drum going into last season before he even started and they ended the JT Daniels experiment, I still will contend that doesn't mean they, sh- oh man, because I know fans will say this. Well, that means you should have been Garrett all along. It should have been Garrett all along. It would have been better the last two years. Certainly should have been Garrett last year, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. No. He wasn't ready then. That was never going to be the case. If Garrett has success now, it's because he's a much better QB now and he's more ready now than he would have been then. So success 2023 does not mean Garrett Green should have started 2022 or certainly 2021. In terms of the brawl, the man knows how big of a deal the brawl was. I know I didn't directly say this. I know a lot of you want to bring up the flipping comment, the hot mic and comment to Baton Doozy and how, you know, wow, it was a lot of hype for one game. I hear you. I know I didn't want to ask it directly because I didn't want to make this an argument. I wanted to get all these other questions in. I do actually, you know, respect Neil Brown as professional here. I truly believe Neil Brown gets it being a big deal. Like, honestly, I know what he said, but he said it prior. He said it to ESPN. He said to others, you'd have to be sleeping to not know how big of a deal WVU pit rivalry is on either side. Pat Narduzzi knows it too. Everyone knows it's a big deal. Pitt won last year. West Virginia maybe did squander the game. Certainly can go off some decisions. You can go off dropping balls, controversy, etc. Maybe if that game was a win, because Pitt ended up winning nine games in a bowl game, so it wasn't like Pitt was horrible, but they certainly weren't the team they were the year earlier. That game goes differently, and as W went on the road, that could be a different season for both programs. Pitt maybe doesn't win a bowl game. They don't get any bowl games in recent years, despite the success of the major bowl appearance because they did lose that one after the Kenny Pickett season. And maybe they only win six or seven games. Maybe the love affair Pat Narduzzi has worn off, even though it's only been a year or so since the ACC title. And maybe Neil Brown is much more beloved and he's certainly locked in for the future. And you get a view into a bowl game and win it or, or even better. And then you have two bowl wins. All of that maybe could have been different. I don't know if I fully buy in because that's no excuse to lose to Kansas the next week. Kansas became a bold team. I get Jalen Daniels, maybe caught him by surprise. I know the matchup was really, really bad, and, and Neil Brown's talked about that before. The coaches have talked about that before. The players have talked about that before. And they caught him before he really set the world on fire early in the season in week two. That was night. That loss just really, really stung, and that set the tone. Because even though you should have beat Pitt, West Virginia was an underdog, and they were on the road. And Pitt was the defending ACC champ, even without Kenny Pickett. So Pitt was supposed to win. I don't think Pitt wowed you. My colleagues who cover Pitt were a little down on Pitt after that game. And a lot of people, including my colleagues who cover Pitt, were high on West Virginia. I mean, there were a lot of people who thought West Virginia played better in that game than people expected on both sides or even nationally. And then that opinion of West Virginia maybe being better than what people thought obviously washed away when you lose to Kansas and the season kind of went down the drain from there. And there were certainly were bad losses and even games, maybe okay, losing to Texas, but the way you lose and just getting destroyed and the Texas tech game, you know, that was obviously the end of the JT experiment with the three picks. All of that felt really, really bad, but maybe if you beat Pitt, it allows you to get up for Kansas. You at least win it. Cause if they won it, even if it was overtime and looked bad, that might've been different too. Just crawling out of there with a win. Could have been a big deal. That's no excuse, though. I, I don't buy in that if you lo- you know, because of the down attitude, I guess, from losing to Pitt, that that trickled in. Neil kind of alluded to that a little bit 
if that's the case, that 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 does suck. <laughs> but we'll see about this year. I mean, I didn't directly ask because I know he's going to say he doesn't make the schedule. He just got to work with what he's working with. And he was part of how why fans should be excited because you have the rivals in there. So I know he's not going to ever want to not. He's not ever going to say I don't want to play any rivals. Obviously, schedule is tough. Uh, you know, more power five opponents than in than most programs in the country the last few years starting on the road again against another power five rival i get all of it i've talked about it i've been open with it ren baker's talked about it he's talked about it uh, in terms of you don't got to do this the tcu experience last year they didn't even win the big 12 when they got in the playoff and became runner-up they got blown out but they were in the national title game and they played one power five team out of conference they then played a group of five team, and then of course everyone's going to play an FCS. So that FCS can be Marshall or whoever can whoever the hell it's going to be. UWU should have an FCS in there. You want to have it for money. You want to have it for a guaranteed win. That's what Ren Baker said. There's no shade in playing FCS. Every major program does it. Go ahead and keep on doing it. They should do it. Look at Maryland, for example. They played two of them last year and got a bowl appearance. West Virginia had five wins. They're one away. Yeah, another FCS in. Obviously, they're a bowl team and looked upon better. Doesn't mean it's any more impressive beating FCS, but you go ahead and do it. And I'm not saying play more than one. Not Cupcake City of a schedule. You have some respect for yourself and play one FCS. But then you play a group of five team, and then you play a power five team. And that's the non-conference because the Big 12 only offers three, even though the ACC and others give you four. So if you want to have an ACC type of schedule and you somehow can get four non-conference and that's somehow the future that I don't obviously envision and isn't the case, then okay. Then you play these two rivals and add in, you know, one group of five, one FCS or two group of five or whatever it's going to be. But with the situation now of three non-conference games, it's a tough road. I mean, you're going to beat Duquesne, obviously, but then Pitt and Penn State, even though Pitt's at home, that's different. I mean, that's not what everyone's dealing with to open up a season. Penn State, you could actually play well. Neil Brown could do a good job. You don't have to have the fourth and one blunder, and you could still lose. It's the Rose Bowl champ on the road. I mean, that's a preseason top 10 team for most people, even with some roster turnover of some NFL talent that was on that Rose Bowl team last year and a new QB. So it's not easy at all. You could play well in the 0-1, similar to last year, and this is absolutely harder than than playing Pitt last year. Penn State, it, it, there's an outside, you know, I've had some national experts on this show before. There's some people who think that's a playoff team. So they beat everybody except for playoff teams last year, Michigan-Ohio State. You know, West Virginia obviously wasn't a playoff team. They should win, and if they don't, that's absolutely going to send their season in a tailspin with how important week one could be based on what Neil Brown's saying. So that's all a factor there, but the excitement level of having the rivals this year, regardless of what Ren Baker does in the future and what should happen, and you look at the blueprint, you probably don't need to have both rivals now to make it a quality year. If you win in conference and have ranked teams in conference, you got it this year. And he knows you got to win them. So it's a results-based business. It is a tough schedule, but that excuse cannot work any longer, even though he has not made the schedule. And I know fans obviously don't want to hear excuses, but who knows what would have been if they would have had the chance of the transfer portal in 2019 and Neil Brown little bit of news there that he would have turned over the roster in 2019 and kind of done a Deion Sanders type of thing if he could have. He hasn't been that direct with that comment before. Who knows what would have been different? None of that matters now, though. We're in the here and now, and the here and now, Neil Brown has an under 500 record, coming off a 5-7 and seven season, two bowl appearances, neither one of them really major, you know, your real excited bowl games that you're going to brag about to anybody if you're a Mountaineer fan, even though one certainly was during the COVID year. You didn't play Oklahoma that year, so you didn't have that added loss in. You did win it. You won it. You did. Uh, you beat Army. It's supposed to be Tennessee, but you won. It counts. 
and you didn't beat Minnesota. Granted, you didn't have a lot of your starters in, but but still, you lose it. So you're one and one in bowl games. You miss a bowl game last year. Like year four should have been maybe where the program peaks. It didn't. We'll see year five, and Neil Brown knows. You don't got to ask him this directly. He knows if he's five and seven again, he's not going to be around. Everybody knows that. There'll be no more debates about it. It'll be the case. Ren Baker's almost admitted it. This is a year evaluation. So sink or swim, and we'll see what type of decision Neil Brown makes moving forward and what type of mentality he has moving forward because – there is more pressure, even though obviously he won't admit that his job is on the line, even though obviously he won't admit that. And obviously they need to win. I mean, obviously Ren Baker is not going to give you a win total, but anything shy of a bowl appearance, we don't even got to be talking about it. And who knows if even seven wins are enough. So we will see what they do. I appreciate the time regardless from Neil Brown. Hope to talk to him again. I know not everybody was offered this opportunity and able to do as much with it as I'm now planning to do in a show format here. And then, Obviously, find all the rest of our coverage at WV Sports Now. So, again, thanks to Mike Montoro. Thanks to Neil Brown. Thanks to the football program for the opportunity. Hope to talk to Neil again. Certainly will, at least at press conferences, <laughs> um, regardless if, if on shows. And, again, the West Virginia Mountaineers, they got a bear week one, but they know it. Excuses are gone. It's a results-based business. Neil Brown knows it. So, a lot of this will be <laughs> time will tell the future of the program, but the here and now, Neil Brown's still the leader of the WV football program as your Mountaineers inch closer to the 2023 season and a really, 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 you know it, I can't stress that enough, important season for the future of the program. Obviously, we're still here only a day officially into summer, so I don't want to lose my summer, but that's already where your brain is, and I'm sure that's already where Neil Brown's brain is as well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.